Welcome back to the Sigmund Roy's podcast on Pro Sound Web, sponsored by Shore. My name is Michael Lawrence. I'm the technical editor of Live Sound International and Pro Sound Web, and I'm here with my two very handsome and radio-voiced colleagues, Kyle Turnside and Chris Leonard. What's, What's up, up, guys? What's happening? I, I definitely have a face for radio. Notice the mustachio part went away. I have changed it up. Um, I will be continuing into different facial hair here this year. If anyone has any suggestions, go ahead and email me. Yep, send it to the... Well, I mean, that's the thing, because when we started the podcast, Kyle, you had Father Time beard happening, and then you quickly... you We went from the beard to the mustache. It was a, a really... It was a splendid mustache. It was awkward, to say the least. It was awkward. And I suggest anyone who can grow facial hair out there at least do the long beard once, because it's pretty fun. It really is, like... Do it, do it just once, like go eight months, do the no shave November, carry it over. But once it becomes summertime, you might want to get rid of it. That's what happened to me. <laughs> well, I, I heard you were doing it because you were mixing that Metallica cover band and they wanted you to look like Big Mick. That would be awesome. <laughs> if I could go to as if anyone but my friends would know who Big Mick was and I could go trick or treating as Big Mick, that would, <laughs> that would be awesome. One of my heroes for sure. We should give that dude a ring. Who, who talks to... Yeah, let's get him on here. I mean, what's Metallica doing now? Shopping? Like, what are they... The, <laughs> I, I, had, I, had dinner, <laughs> I had dinner one time with Big Mick uh, in, in England uh, or somewhere outside of London uh, for, uh, at, a, at an Indian restaurant. It was, uh, it was a cool experience for sure. Yeah, man. I got to go to his house when they were still in the design, final design stage for XL4, and I got to sit and mix Metallica tracks in his living room, and uh, that was insane. Like, did he did he have the PSS Soundweb uh, in his living room? He yes. was telling us about that. Yeah. Yes, he did. <laughs> he had a whole little Meyer rig. Um, J Day, his uh, system tech that he's been with for quite some time now, was there just like assisting around the house, little flat outside of Birmingham. Um, he had an old HD multi track machine, and uh, it was funny because I, I found all my favorite songs. I would just fast forward through it, and I, I think I, I mixed that song Battery off, to, off of Master of Puppets like 30 times in his living room. He was like, All right, mate, give it a go. And he came back like an hour later, and I was still rewinding Battery. <laughs> that was awesome. so fun. So fun. And let me, I'll go ahead and put this out there. I don't know what Big Mick does. I kind of do just from like all the articles I've read and everything, but that dude has a hint of magic. Like you can't even put some things that he does into words. Some of his drum sounds that he comes with up with, like, holy moly, I heard what raw tracks sound like. And I've heard what the show sounds like live. And that dude is pure magic. That's cool. Well, I'm over here trying to get over my food coma from uh, the holiday break. It's been, uh, it's been a lot going on. <laughs> I got that plague that was going around. Uh, my whole family got it, and, uh, you know, the cold, the vicious cold. And then I, you know, the, everyone in the band I mixed got it. So it was, uh, I'm just starting to recover now. So here we are. Um, and this is an interesting episode because we want to talk about the uh, top 20 
of 2019. The top 20, of course, being uh, the top 20 new articles that were the most read over the past year on Press on Web. And it's a really interesting selection that we have this year, and it's pretty neat for me because a lot of my uh, friends and colleagues and people that I really look up to in the industry have articles in the top 20 this year. So we wanted to look at that list and talk about some of the articles that each of us thought were interesting. And we want you to feel free to follow along, hit up prosignweb.com, check out that top 20 list, and check those articles out, and let us know which ones... Um, you thought were cool. And Chris, do you want, did you have one to start us off? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I get, this one came in at number 12. Uh, it was called Here at Last, A History of Stage Monitoring. Uh, this is from, uh, from Becky Pell, which uh, many of you may or may not know, but she's from uh, uh, soundgirls.org. Uh, which if you don't know what that is, you need to check it out. It's pretty, uh, they, got, they got a lot going on there. Uh, they got a cool uh, Facebook group. They have like meetups in different cities. Uh, we're going to try to have some people on here pretty soon from uh, from Sound Girls. So, uh, but yeah, no, the article, um, you'll see a reoccurring theme from the couple that I, that I liked out of this list, which are all have to do with monitors. Um, and, and she put together a really cool uh, history of, um, of, of stage monitors, everything from back when kind of uh, wedges were kind of first um, thought of, you know, back, you know, she mentioned that like, you know, like when the Beatles and stuff are first around, you'll notice there's no wedges on the stage. Um, uh, and as it kind of, you know, kind of progressed that uh, I was like, oh, well, let's, uh, let's strap a horn onto a, onto a box and they were constantly falling off. And then eventually, I guess, kind of Shoko and Claire kind of helped perfect what the wedge uh, kind of became. Um, and then, uh, you know, getting into, um, in-ears was, was interesting. Um, and she had talked about, um, uh, Jerry Harvey. Uh, and, uh, I, I had, I had a fun interaction with him, um, when I was out with, uh, Tears for Fears. We were, I was in rehearsals and center staging. Um, and I guess he had just recently left, um, uh, Ultimate Ears. Uh, and I actually had his, uh, UE 11s, which are the last ones that he had made when he was at ultimate years. Um, and he comes by the studio, um, and I was like, Hey, you want, you want to try these out? And he handed me like a couple like demo pairs of JHs, you know? Um, and it was like, it blew me away. I was like, Holy shit. Like, I don't even think they were in, in production yet. I'm not sure if he could buy them. He was just kind of going around the different engineers and saying, Hey, try these out, try these out. This is what I'm working on. Um, and, uh. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's just, you know, pretty interesting history. Um, uh, a lot to cover. I think it's like a three or four page article. Uh, it kind of gets into I, um, uh, wireless because, right, because if you're doing IEMs, most likely you're becoming an RF engineer, which is, you know, these days has become a full-fledged gig to be um, being a, a RF tech. Uh, and so you, you kind of, as a monitor engineer, had to progress and start learning all of these things. Um it also brought me back to remembering uh, when I was out with um, Josh Groban, and uh, he we were playing arenas at the time, and he liked for one of the songs, uh, he would start at the back of the arena and walk his way through the crowd up to the stage. Well, you know, we're, we're set up to cover IEMs on stage, but to cover out across the arena was a big deal. And so I remember spending the first couple of weeks on the tour trying to research on how to do antennas better and, and what to change. And again, just all the, all the things that culminate in becoming, you know, being a monitor engineer. She, you know, she did a really good job of wrapping up there. And it was really interesting, the historical, you know, context there. And to me, how far it's come in, in you know, such a short amount of time. Like you said, the, the Beatles, you know, the mid 60s, that was sort of, time zero you know before that there was nothing in terms of monitoring really and 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 then it kind of 
everything that has come has come since then and it's really been amazing to see even in the even in the last couple of years to see how in-ears have gone from like some sort of really high-end um you know thing that's only for the big rock stars to i mean the the local cover band that i mix they're all in ears now and that 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 happened quickly you know yeah i mean it's the most important part of the show too i mean because if you know if the artist can't hear i mean they're not going to have a good show um and so that's that's why you know i i kind of like monitors i I feel like it's actually more important than front of house (laughs) hey now i like doing both i mean um I even like challenges like mixes of a ton of wedges and a ton of ears. Uh, that's what kind of drew, drew me to going to the deck was like controlling. I mean, the control at Monitor World is way bigger responsibility than the control out there. And I think the RF guys in like, if you were put, put them in the tour book now, I think they're called RF Wranglers. It's like Monitor World, Dimmer Beach, RF Wrangler. Um Wrangler is a pretty tough name, dude, because if you look up the history of that, that's like some rope and some horses and like six shooters and stuff. <laughs> um, RF is no joke. And especially for engineers that are going across the pond, man, uh, something that we really don't discuss on this show is the difference between the States and Europe or other countries. But um, Europe, starting in Germany, has some pretty strict uh, RF rules. So mm-hmm. being a monitor engineer and prepping for just the trip over the pond is a, is a new thing that we've never had to deal with before. Frequency yeah. ranges. Um, I remember the first time I saw the RF Wrangler and uh, did a sh- uh, one of those jingle balls at um, Madison Square Garden, and that dude looked like he was going to kill everybody on site. Like... <laughs> I have I have never seen that much RF in one spot ever, but it became a designated job, and it is a designated mm-hmm. job now. And holy cow, even watching wireless workbench or something that you can pick up for free and look at your computer while you're doing this stuff, you would never think that much stuff is in the air and would affect your mix. I mean, it does. Yeah, and it's and it's really not optional anymore. That's sort of the thing that I've had to really work hard to advocate for you know for the the local and regional companies that i work with um this particularly the smaller ones scanning rf spectrum is not something that they've ever had to do for years they've been going out with four channels and turning them on and and being fine or or changing a channel and then it being fine and that's not really the case anymore um and you know to the idea that you know this isn't optional this isn't this isn't a treat you know the rf coordinator is not again it's not some fancy high-end thing now it's sort of becoming a fact of life where if you're expecting to boot up eight 16 channels as happens pretty regularly now even at at a a high school musical um there's gonna have to be some coordination that happens there most likely for you to have success with that and it's no longer um roll the dice and maybe it'll be fine i mean it's really something that you have to consider doing every single time now um and so that that's another thing that's that's changed pretty recently. Obviously, you know we're not going to get into all the uh, the FCC changes that have been happening, but um, that's 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 a new area that people who are coming up in audio are going to have to deal with pretty regularly. Just like networked audio that a lot of the kind of old dogs haven't had to deal with. Um, so that's something that's definitely going to be on the radar as we go forward. I I love the little history of foldback because I think everybody has their own history of how it started because the the job of uh monitoring wasn't even a thing and half the people that were out here doing this gig weren't 
writing down how they were doing stuff. So right. um, I remember going to an AES event a long time ago and I met this dude named Dizzy. He was a front of house dude for Fleetwood Mac and he gave his explanation of foldback. And it's so funny reading this one. It's almost like the same thing, but just the names and times have changed, you know? Um, super interesting. Uh, I remember the first console I had had a foldback uh, knob on it. It didn't have, you know, aux sends or monitor sends or returns or whatever. It literally had a button and a knob section that said foldback. I was like, what's that? What's foldback? <laughs> I'll still, I still, if I'm doing a, a corporate or dance production or something like that and I have, you know, side fills, I'll still label it foldback on my console and people are like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I've got an article here, number 14. Uh, it was written by my friend John Huntington, who is a professor of entertainment technology. Uh, he teaches audio video networking at City Tech, which is the New York City College of Technology in Brooklyn. And um, he had a student named Balin He, who um, they did the project together. It was about blind testing between two audio consoles. And the question was, is there an audible difference between these two consoles? And uh, I don't want to spoil the outcome, but to me, the thing that's even more interesting than the outcome is the process. I love this idea of evidence-based audio. You know, we want to call ourselves engineers. Um, and so he kind of did the put up or shut up. He said, well, let's design a, you know, a proper blind test and let's do it the right way and let's gather the evidence on this and put the statistics together. And so this idea of, well, I have this question about whether or not there is actually, you know, a statistically audible difference between these two things. And we're going to sit down and we're going to design an experiment to actually test it. I love that. I think it's fantastic. And I think we need more of that. Um, and so that article is number 14 on the top 20 list uh, by John Huntington, along with his student, uh, Balin. And I got to meet Balin uh, recently down uh, when I was down in City Tech uh, last month for, for a smart class, and it was a really uh, cool thing that these guys did. So I definitely uh, would encourage people to check that article out and uh, to read about their tests and their methodology and all that stuff. And I just, you know, to me, the broader strokes idea of um, I was curious if there was a difference, so I tested it is great. I think it's just so great. Uh, number three uh, was a roundtable of unconventional convention. The upside, the upsides of not knowing always, uh, the upsides of not always following the norm. Um, and this was, uh, it was an interesting one. Um, it's put, it, I guess it was all the PSW staff or the writers. Uh, maybe Michael could lend some more insight into that on how this actually came together. Um, and so I was just reading through it um, and a couple things you know, popped out to me. Um, I was curious to see if maybe I resonated with, with any of these. And, and in fact, I actually did, uh, even though they're supposed to be unconventional. Um, one of which was um, uh, Alice uh, uh, Stefanik. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right or not. Alice Stefanik. Okay, actually. there we go. There yeah, we go. There you go. Um, he had talked about, um, you know, uh, prior to mixing uh, each night right before the show uh, that he would do like uh, some stretches and, and stuff like that to kind of just like loosen up his body uh, and kind of get his head you know kind of in focus and um, uh, prevent muscle tension from riding faders throughout the show as he says uh, <laughs> so uh, rigorous and, <laughs> yes yes man his, his, uh, his hands um, 
But no, that's definitely something I would I would definitely do, man. I would I would kind of do some jumping jacks. I'd kind of like just 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 stretch out a little bit and just kind of, you know, just yeah. get mentally get yourself this kind of you know focused and and ready to go. Um, that's definitely a, a reoccurring thing that, that that I'll do. Especially, do you especially pull on your ears? Like I'll walk around the house and I'll like, especially after a flight or something. You know, um, if I'm clogged up, I'll even like stretch out my ears i'll pull on the cartilage i don't even know if it does anything it probably doesn't because you guys haven't it's funny <laughs> it is funny plus it looks like <laughs> hey if i'm walking around on the floor by some seats and i'm pulling on my ears and like looking around all concerned they're like oh man that's that's the front house guy <laughs> that's how i let them know i pull on my ears a little bit Oh, I will talk about the the genesis of the roundtable idea. You know, it was I think two years ago, and uh, you know when you when you when you are in trade publishing, there's there's topics that you just hit perennially. You hit you know you do the drum mic thing once a year. You do the uh, the cable maintenance thing once a year. There's these topics that that you cover and you just have to keep covering. And um, I said to Keith, you know, I don't think it's very interesting to go find one of our contributors and have him write an article about cable maintenance. I said I just don't think that's that cool i said what would be really cool is if we emailed you know a handful of our contributors and said give me your best tip that has to do with uh with you know storing cables and that was that was the first one Mm. which is what prompted it um and we got some really cool stuff and then you're like you know so this sort of turns into this little treasure trove where you've got you're hearing from 20 people and you read through and you say all three of these are really interesting to me and to me that's enough you know if, if if you found one or two tips that you hadn't heard of before great and so that's how the roundtable idea was born and so it's sort of you know we are going to hear from a range of our contributors on these topics and see if anyone can you know throw something out that's kind of interesting something that the rest of us haven't heard or just kind of you know uh uh, one thing i really like is it really highlights the way that there's so many different approaches like the drum miking roundtable was a great one i think that was summer 2018 um and it was just like hey you know how do you like to mic your drums really open-ended question like that and you know we got all these different engineers saying here's how i do it here's how i do it and they're all different and it's great Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so there's a ton of value there and and just you know hey everyone's got their own recipe you know so so that was the genesis of the roundtable thing and it's really kind of grown since then and so what we love is is when it starts a dialogue and that's really the goal right is we'll publish a roundtable and we'll get these emails from the readers like oh you know what i hadn't thought of that here's what i do and then we're like oh that's really cool and so uh, we will sometimes publish those as a letter to the editor so if you guys are out there and you're reading the round table and something resonates with you or you've got an interesting approach that we didn't mention and you think it's cool send it in man let's uh let's hear about it and uh, let's share it and uh, that's starting that dialogue that we're that we're uh, really looking to do so michael i actually you, you you're in this round table as well and uh, i used to Uh-oh, do one i of the forgot what things. i said <laughs> <laughs> no i actually do one of the things that you mentioned as well um, i like he said i like tacos um i mean yeah <laughs> tacos are good <laughs> i gotta pull it up here so i can see what i said because i don't even remember now no it's okay so well you said uh so you know as the show starts i empty my pockets so i can usually be found at the console with no shoes on which I'm not sure how emptying your pockets <laughs> correlated to, to taking your shoes off. Um, however, uh, I, uh, I I used to do, <laughs> I used to do That's the same awesome. thing as well. I would uh, in Monitor World, I'd carry a rug, you know, by my console, and I would just right you know right before the show would start, yeah, take my shoes off, set them ne- you know set them next. You know, it was the same thing. I did my stretches, took my shoes off, and like I was just you know in 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 the zone in the space. Hippies. Um, 
<laughs> Keep your shoes on. I did. I do empty my pockets. Do you, I mean, do you ever me m- notice it, how much stuff you have in your pockets by the time you get to do oh, your gig? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's bananas, dude. It's just so much stuff. It's, it's, it's an old rigging. It's a Harry Donovan rigging thing for me. That's just like, you know, when you're going to go up on the high steel, you don't want any distractions. So your your phone, your bat, like anything that doesn't need to be on your person becomes excess. You put it away. Um, and it's to me, it's about minimizing distractions and just enabling my focus, you know, just to maximize. And so, yeah, I, I'll dump I'll dump everything out of my pockets i'll try to just you know the everything goes away and try to get into my little cave you know (laughs) and try to just just focus on what i need to be focusing on and the shoes i don't know it's funny because uh to me it's just like i've usually been on my feet for 10 hours at that point and i'm ready to you know i want to be comfortable um it helped on tour some of these clubs you the front of house was in a weird position and so you didn't really know what the low frequency was doing and so kind of feeling the the base coupling through the floor of the of the crappy plywood front of house mix position was helpful, yep. um, and I think it's just a holdover from that. Um, but it was really funny because I've done this for a long time, and, and about a year ago, I was running a show uh, alongside uh, my longtime colleague, who's a lighting director. And I looked over at him during the show, and he's sitting at his console with no shoes on too. And uh, he's like, "You do that too?" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> do you guys sit to mix? Uh, I, I bounce around. I, I, I'm up and down. I start off the show on my feet, then I'll sit down. You know, it's it's about kind of keeping yourself alert, but also not getting fatigued. I try to, you know, alternate. Mostly I don't, uh, especially when I was touring, I definitely didn't. I felt, I felt, um... I didn't feel as connected and, and alert if I was if I was sitting down. Uh, plus, you know, I, I like to move around a little bit. Um, and uh, I, although I, now doing the church gig, I mean, I find myself, um, you know, come the third service because we we do three services on a yeah. Sunday morning. I, it's like, all right, you know what? I can I can uh, still kind of be in the moment here and be sitting down on the stool yeah. and pushing faders. So yeah. church, I, I just like to sit high though. I will sit as high as I can. So when I sit down, my head doesn't move down 18 inches from where it was when I was standing, I think that's important. So if I do sit, I'm sitting like on a bar stool or something. I, I yeah. stand at shows like you do, and then I'll sit at church. Um, I One, it's because I'm kind of in a sight line, so I do sit, and then also I get really bored and I'm on Facebook. Um, <laughs> so that, that happens. You know, I'll give you two songs, and then I'm going to be looking at my phone pretty much. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I can't do that. But I didn't notice that in there. The shoe thing, I don't know if I could do. I don't know. <laughs> Can we just talk about the last line of this oh, roundtable article? I was, was, was going to get there. It's, it's the most riveting feedback on this. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's funny because I'll send the – about once a month we'll do a roundtable prompt, and, and Keith and I will, will, will talk about the prompt that we want to do, and when we discuss, decide how we want to word it, we'll send it out to all our contributors. And, you know, he's got his list that he sends it to, and I got my list I send it to. And, and then we kind of – it's kind of a treat because we sit back and let these things come in over the next week or two. And, and then I'll go, hey, you know, I call Keith. You know, I got a really good one from Chris Mitchell. Or he'll say, I got a really good one from, from Scoville. And so we'll go, okay, cool. Um, and uh, uh, Dave Natales came in. And it was two sentences. It says, uh, just about everything I do is unconventional. As a result, I am mixing the Rolling Stones. And I'm like, that's it, man. That's, that's the one right there. Nailed it. But he, yeah, it's, but I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, and, and sometimes we'll get uh, Ken Pooch Van Druten, too. He loves to send me these little pithy two, three sentence things. And, 
and you kind of go like, okay, Ken, and then you think about it, and you're like, yep, that's genius, though, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> less is more. Less is more. Less is more. I I really liked. Uh, I wish it was a little bit longer, but uh, number five, reducing the channel count. Do I really need that op- input, or how about this one? Um, I thought it was a good opinion piece. I really did, like, because that's something that I need to think about, um, especially when I'm trying to set up other people is when did we come up with so many dang inputs like mm-hmm. holy cow it, everyone's trying to oh the console only does 144 channels oh what oh. You, like people are scoffing at that like we used to have to fit it in, <laughs> in, in 24 <laughs> channels and make it work you know splitting toms on y cables and stuff but now being able to double channels make stereo channels like that's something that i i, I like the article because uh consider the source and i think like you said about dave natel less is more um try to start off easy uh it's a good opinion piece uh the judgment call when you're talking about microphones and stuff like that that's always an issue and i think a lot of people don't even realize some of the digital repercussions of adding other channels you know phasing issues timing issues making subgroups like mm. sometimes you're just burying yourself with this this input channel melee that you're trying to create for yourself well i think the drums is where you can you know really look down and all of a sudden you're just you've just lost it you know we i years ago i was working on this it was this tour uh, we were my my uh, apprentice at the time and i were the house crew and the tour came in and the headliners had probably 18 20 drum inputs top and bottom of each tom and two sets of overheads and all this stuff and my apprentice is you know because he was the he loves nice mics he loves plugins he loves waves he loves dsp and he was just drooling over this and just you know drew this guy's waves set up and um he was just like oh my god look at all these drum but he just loved it right and i said dude drum kit's gonna sound terrible watch i said i promise you right and then the the opener comes up and the guy does i think he puts up kick snare hat and uh like a single 81 or something like that for an over it was like four inputs and they go those drums are gonna sound sweet and they did and the opener came up and punchy and huge and clear and that headline was just those drums were just mud just absolute mud and you don't think about hey i got 20 open mics here and i got a snare transient ripping through 20 different mics at 20 different times going through plugins with different latent i mean like if you're going to do that stuff, you have a lot of homework to do. Um, there's a lot of prep that has to happen, and it can totally be done, but you need to really be mindful of what you're doing and, and do a lot of listening and make sure, and Jim Yakubuski has a great article about this, make sure that that extra input actually improves things. Yeah, do your math, too. Uh, like you said, yeah. with the times and the phasings, that's that's the problem is like you could really get yourself cluttered really fast, especially if you're adding yeah. virtual guitar channels, trying to stereo things too much. Like, man, you could get nutty phase things happening. Yep. Just, you know, so it's, is it really better? Do you really need it? So that's, I think, I think that's a great point that's brought up by the article. And I think, you know, this is a lot of these pieces are really, you know, we'll get these angry emails sometimes when people say, well, I've been doing this for, you know, 40 years and I would never do that. Like, you don't have to, dude. It's okay. Like, this is, none of this is the be all end all. I don't think any of our amazing contributors are suggesting like my way is is the only way i don't think anyone's ever writing an article with that stance i think it's like let me tell you something that i tried that worked for me or sometimes it's let me tell you something that i tried that didn't work 
and let's talk about why. And I think it's just about, you know, here's another approach. Let's start a dialogue about this. Here's something to think about. Maybe this is interesting to you. Maybe this is helpful to you. So it's just something to think about. I mean, there are there are shows that I have uh, a lot of doubled inputs on, and I'm I'm keeping them there because I, you know, we've we've done a lot of work and and decided that that makes the show better. But it's definitely something to be mindful about. So I think all of these things are really interesting ideas to start a conversation or to just have in your mind and just you know be aware of of these different viewpoints that are out there. And, and sometimes you get in a situation and you're like, yep. Uh, that's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that this time. That's, you know, that's going to give me something else to dig into. Um, all right. Number eight, uh, my buddy, Michael Fay wrote this, uh, whistle while you work using your body as an ultra low tech test and measurement instrument. And this is just a lot of fun. This is, um, Michael does a lot of stuff where he's doing integrations or he's doing acoustical consulting. And so he's got to go into a space and he's got to very quickly make a lot of determinations on dimensions um, and reverb and, and, you know, different tonalities and stuff like that. And so it's sort of one of those things where he wants to get in the ballpark really quick. He doesn't necessarily need an exact measurement or want to spend the time to get an exact measurement. So he just shares a bunch of rules of thumb that he uses to quickly estimate a lot of the quantities that we need in pro audio. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. So if you have a second, check out Michael Fay's article that came in at number eight, Whistle Will You Work. So um, there's actually a couple bonus um, bonus uh, articles in there as well. Uh, also, I think the other cool thing too is if you if you scroll down, th- scroll down through the page, uh, you can actually go back um, almost a whole almost a whole decade there of mm-hmm. of, uh, of the top articles from each of the years. So I, I encourage you to do those. Um, one of the bonus ones, um, it was kind of a half audio, half video thing, but uh, you know Samantha Potter put up um, making the plunge, setting up a simple, effective streaming of worship. You know, I think obviously the uh, the church world right now is a huge world. Uh, so many people are are streaming, uh, whether it's just Facebook or whether it's on your website and stuff. Um, and uh, it, you know, it's a mix of kind of a how-to and just some, some things to kind of think about when you do that. Um, I know uh, I helped our church, I don't know, probably about maybe two, three years ago, start doing the streaming thing. And, um, you know, initially we are just taking the, the generic left right off the desk. Uh, and obviously, depending on what your room is like, that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and uh, and so we had to do do some refining. Plus, once we moved into a new new facility, we were able to kind of like matrix things out a little bit and kind of and kind of I can kind of treat the groups a little bit different for the stream versus um, versus the room. You know, the higher end churches are able to actually get a separate desk and do a actual broadcast mix, which is really nice. Uh, but I know I, I would venture to say that's only the top. I don't know, 5% of churches at best, I think, probably are afforded that opportunity. Uh, Most, you know, all you really have is, you know, your desk. And so, um, and it's, uh, I I heard, I don't know, on some other podcast, uh, some engineers talking about, uh, even even on rock and roll tours, right? And they'll the artists will come up to them and be like, "Oh, I, I saw this on YouTube or I saw this on Facebook. And man, this is, this just isn't really sounding right. And it's like, man, the decisions people are making based off of, uh, this compressed audio going up through whatever stream through their Apple, you know, through their iPhone, through the whatever, and that's mm-hmm. the judgment call that they're making of how things sound. And it's a, you, you know, you have you have two choices, right? You have you you can just say, well, that's just that's not what it actually sounds like, or 
you can go down the thought process of like, okay, well, what can I do since this is the day we live in that people are going to be listening to, you know, right off of their phone, right in their car and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, kind of bend, bend towards those, uh, those decisions. So, um, actually, you know, so I guess I took a little further than what her article was, but I think that's the cool thing about these articles is that they, they can take you places, you know, you know, start, start a, start a conversation. Like you said, start some thoughts, um, and yeah. take you somewhere. Well, you know, what I thought was interesting is, is, uh, the, the band I'm mixing now, they, uh, we don't, we no longer multi-track every single show just cause it's, you know, you end up with this huge amount of data that you're probably never going to touch, but, um, we're just doing a matrix off the desk now, stereo matrix. And I wanted to show them how in some ways that board mix is very representative of what they're sounding like on stage in terms of like, Hey, are we playing the right chords and are we singing in pitch? But in, in some other ways, you know, that, that is not at all representative of what your show sounds like. So what I did is I had, uh, my girlfriend film a song from front of house on my phone and then I sent them that recording along with the recording that came off the desk. And I just said, you know, just sit down and listen to both of these. And so you can sort of get a feel for what happened in the room and how that's, you know, the, you know, the use of effects is completely different. You, mm-hmm. you listen on the, on the board mix and you're like, wow, there is so much reverb on that vocal. And in the room you're like, wow, it's really dry. Um, right. And so, so those are the things that you have to watch out for the trap. And Jim Yak pointed out to me that you have to be careful when you give the artist the board mix um, using stuff like chorus. He said, you know, artists will listen in, on the board mix and say, wow, that's way too much chorus. I sound out of tune. Mm-hmm. It was perfect in the room. Um, and it sounds like way too much on the board mix. So you have to be careful about, like you said, making critical decisions about the live show based on how it's coming through on the board mix. And so I think rather than try to explain that, I just said, here, listen to, listen to these two and, and you can really start to understand for yourself, wh- you know, why this is such a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's almost the first year. I mean, this, this episode will probably come out right after the first year, but before we get to our number one thing, for everybody here, what is your New Year's resolution of audio? Do you guys make one? Do you guys make goals for yourself for the next year? I mean, um, are you going to go to the gym? Are you going to, you know, get your finger workouts in, you know, get your little finger stretches so you don't mess up a fader finger? My uh, my New Year's resolution, I think we'll be talking about here, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I've, I've been... Uh, I've been I've been on a, on a on a mission to learn and understand SPL better. Uh, kind of started late last year, um, and so Michael. It's actually kind of what kind of got Michael and I talking. Actually, initially was a bunch of SPL stuff. So that's that's kind of my New Year's resolution is to kind of better understand that, understand what we can learn from it, how to how to measure it properly, all of those things. See. And you yeah, you talk yeah. to him about smart stuff, dude. Like me and you just hang out because we like the same kind of food, <laughs> <laughs> like music. I don't know. <laughs> we we are going to be talking a lot about SPL in uh, a coming episode for a couple different reasons, and I don't think we want to let the cat out of the bag just nope. quite yet. Nope. But uh, that'll be something to look forward to. Um, so I think. I think before we wrap up, I really want to talk about. Oh, I have to talk about my yeah, yeah. My what's your resolution? Don't I? Yeah. Oh man, I. You know what? I I think that I stopped reading as many audio textbooks as I used to read, just because I've been so busy this year. I didn't get a chance to read as much stuff, and I really enjoy reading audio textbooks and technical articles. And you know, um, I I've I've just been remiss in in not 
not putting that time in. And so I'm going to make an effort to do more audio research this year and, and to kind of get back to that. That's sort of my roots. You know, that's sort of um, what was so fascinating about all this to begin with to me is just um, all these amazing studies of people that they spend, you know, they'll spend eight months studying something so, so specific. And uh, there's really a lot of interesting stuff out there that that is on my list that I haven't gotten to yet. So I'm going to try to make some headway down that list. That's that's, that's my good resolution for this year. Yeah. I, I, yeah, so I, newsflash, nerd nerd will be more nerdy this year. Dude, I, I, I admire your aspiration to learn all that stuff and sit and read, man, because I, I just learn it the hard way. Like, oh, I probably should have done it that. If I would have read that book Michael told me, I would have not done it in the first place. <laughs> See? <laughs> I think my new. Well, I read them so you don't have to, man. I know. I just call you and be like, "Dude, how's this thing work?" Oh, thanks. Can, <laughs> can you just log into my computer and do it for me, <laughs> remote? I'm going to catering. Thanks. No, I I think my resolution this year. I, I've already kind of started working on it, and um, a, a lot of a lot of people knew me as a console guy, and uh, I I pretty yeah. much was like I've lived in the console world. I've got to mix on some crazy stuff, some horrible stuff, some really fun opportunities and I'm starting to learn a lot more about loudspeakers now. And, mm. uh, the, the cool thing about loudspeakers is, is I think it leads you into thinking about electricity a lot more and mm. you know, with amplification, because you can't have a loudspeaker without amplification. You could ruin both of them with the improper, whatever. So, um, it doesn't matter what brand it is. Like if it's the wrong electricity going in or the wrong amplification, the loudspeaker is going to sound like garbage. So, uh, I'm, I'm taking my route that I took with, uh, consoles. I still have a passion for them for sure. I mean, I can't wait to use a bunch of this new stuff that's coming out. But I think with loudspeakers, um, everything's so good right now. Like, mm. you you can go through the laundry list of brand names and be like, everyone makes a good speaker box now. Like, it's mm. very usable. You know, it's not just that one company or that brown box company. There's a lot of companies out there that are making really good speakers. And um, loudspeaker technology is pretty interesting, man. Uh, I'm starting to get into it. So that and electricity and giving back to the kids. I, I want to do some more AES events, uh, student summits. I'll probably be doing that as well. Um, I was going to do the Webster this year with you again, Kyle, which we <laughs> did last year together. I would um, love for you guys I, to join. That'd be awesome. We could have our I own panel I, there. We Yes, but I don't think I can go because I've got to be at USITT like the uh. next day. Um, I'm going out there. So, uh, if anyone's going to be at USITT, hit me up. Let's, uh, let's hang out, come by, say hello. You know what? That um, would be a cool thing to talk offline about is maybe we set up a booth at one of these trade shows and people can come by and, uh, hit us up. That, that would yeah. be a really cool thing. Yeah, um, for sure. one, because I think the interaction would be there and then maybe everyone could see my inner Joe Rogan and, uh, this thing could just <laughs> blow off the map. It'd be like the audio podcast <laughs> of the year. Boom. <laughs> We get our own um, rider. Like we, we we can just sit up next to the taco stand at the convention center. How's that? Yeah, we wherever the food our court is, stand. that's probably where Kyle will be. I mean, because out there, I don't think we have to pay for a booth space. So if we just set up a table next to the food court, we can probably just make this happen on a low budget. What do you think? Um, uh, imagine the keynote speakers that we could come by and just do like random bits with all day. That would be amazing. Seriously, especially for USITT. Just buy them a taco and, yeah, yeah, just buy them a taco and, and get a couple minutes of wisdom from them, yeah. I like it. 
Well, there you have it, folks. There's the plan. So uh, let's do one more, uh, and let's go with number one. Um, intellectual property or not, who really owns your console show file? And this is something, um, this thing uh, really took off in a way that we didn't expect. So about a year ago, Jimmy Akabuski sent me an email, and he said, uh, you know, I'm thinking about this idea um, where I'm out on tour, and he said management will ask me to send my console show file to them and he said do i have to do that you know do they own it do i own it um because his concern one of his concerns is is well okay um you know you get some new tour manager coming in and saying well you have this veteran front house guy who's making a pretty penny and i'm trying to cut some budget here so i'm gonna fire him and i'm gonna bring in my buddy who's green and we'll mix it for for half the rate um and just give him jim's show file and jim's like well that doesn't sit right with me you know that's that's my work and so he raised this interesting idea of do you own your show file that you create do you own it for the artist who hired you to create it you know what is what does the contract have to say about this what does intellectual property law have to say about this and so we talked about the kind of professional implications we talked about the ethical and moral implications of this idea and we very quickly said well is there a legal precedent here? Um, if so, what does that say? Um, because as we know, that that is often going to be the arbiter of the situation, you know, regardless of, of ethically what you feel might be correct. You know, if there's a law that's going to go one way or the other, that's usually what what ends up happening. And so we reached out to an intellectual property attorney named Todd Braverman, and uh, he is familiar with a lot of these types of situations, especially when you're talking about, you know, profiles for guitar emulation systems and stuff like that. Um, and are those copyrightable? And, and he really kind of went down the rabbit hole with us. And so we got to put this whole thing together where we looked at it ethically, we looked at it professionally, and we finally looked at it legally. And Mr. Braverman was very kind in uh, talking with us and lending us his expertise. And um, this thing really started a dialogue in a way that, that I did not uh, expect and it was being shared around a lot on Facebook and there were a lot of great uh, conversations that popped up around that and there were some really interesting conversations that we heard from uh, a couple of Broadway sound designers were talking about this is a real issue on Broadway where if this tour if this Broadway show goes out on tour and that show file goes out on tour does the designer of this of the show on Broadway get should they get the residuals for the tour as well? And it's it's a big debate, and there's a lot of um, very subtle points in there. And so this was a really interesting journey. And so I want to say thank you to Jim for uh, proposing that idea and for sort of talking through it with me and and leading us through this this discussion. And I think a lot of people uh, were really um, you know kind of resonated with them, and and a lot of people shared their thoughts on it, and a lot of people. Uh, kind of got some food for thought out of it. So that was a really, really cool project. I'm really happy that I was able to to, to uh, work on that with Jim. And definitely something cool to check out for everyone who's going to go do a drive-by on the top 20 list. So th- this is definitely something when I was uh, when I was touring, we, we talked about. Um, I had actually uh, a buddy, uh, Will Miller, monitor engineer, and he was like, uh, he's like, you know, hold, back then it was like the PM1D, right? And you have this giant like CF card and this giant uh, the card reader and everything, right? And, uh, <laughs> I remember that thing, yeah. Oh, my God. The PM5D and PM1D, you had to have this like, you had to have um, the CF card reader slot to go into the console yeah, and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, and, uh, he's like, how much, you know, he's like, if I decide to walk out tonight, he's like, how much, how much you think, he was obviously all in joking, right? He's like, but he's like, how much you think the tour would pay me for this? You know, he's like, uh, he's like, I'm I'm gonna wipe the desk. I'm gonna walk out with this card and be like, I'm out. 
how how you know like you know and, and it's like five minutes before the show right how how much do you think they'd pay for this card file right now <laughs> you know we just you know you know could, could could you put a monetary value to how much that file is actually worth five minutes before right. a show you know that you know, right. again kind of all in jest but no this was a um a killer article and I think that's why it resonates so much because I mean I, I don't think any I'm, th- I'm sorry I think everyone has probably thought about this at some point of just. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how much of this is me? I mean, look, nine times out of ten, the reason you're bringing in an engineer is because you're bringing in, you know, uh, their uh, what their mindset is, what their experience is, all these things to that to that mix. Otherwise, you could just get anyone to do it, right? And so, um, and if the band could just get anyone, well, then yeah, then they they would own that sound, they would own that mix. So. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a tough a, a, a tough uh, topic because um, especially when you start getting to like the moral ethics side of it for sure. What about yeah. the other side of it? The complete other side. You're walking in a gig as an engineer, and they want you to use the engineer's previous show file. Like, why did why did he get fired? That's my question. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> or even if he's not fired, like he just leaving and you're filling in for a week or two. I mean. Um, sometimes that's a bummer like uh, everyone has a different workflow going into it it's hard um and it might take a couple shows to find out where everything is just because building the show is is intricate to how you move around the console you know Mm -hmm. and yeah sure and and i think artists well anything outside of where your mixing console is don't understand what that means to do you know it's like picking up someone else's drumsticks and trying to play their drum kit it's like <laughs> i can play them yes i've played on a tama yeah. kit before but i've never played one quite like this you know or whatever the case may be yeah uh, you never think about the show file thing until somebody's angry about something too so i'm sure that's why it st- stirred up some stuff is like somebody got mad that a show file got left or holy cow like yeah, I agree with a lot of that stuff in there that they said. I, I like to know more about the lawyer thing. So the attorney weighs in at the end. Um, I wonder if there's been any precedent set about that. Like someone uh, actually took this to court or settled a lot of court to get their show back. So what Todd did recommend to us is um, he said this is something that can be resolved in a contract and should be resolving a contract so like the way to make sure this never goes to court is put it in your freelance contract yeah true you know if it's a work for hire situation um they got you but he said you know this is one of those things that when you're negotiating the work up front deal with it at that point and then there's there's no reason to even have the dialogue um it's just it's dealt with it's out in the open there's no there's no questions and that's i think that's the best advice out of it we you know regardless of what the precedent says if you are dealing with this responsibly in a contract which is where the stuff belongs so everyone is very clear on the scope of your work what you've been hired to do you know what deliverables are expected um just get that straightened out up front and then you don't have these these issues that you have to deal with later hopefully they hired someone better than me that doesn't want my show file (laughs) (laughs) well well that's that's my thing is i don't want i i i would rather spin up a mix in 20 minutes and you know what I mean? I'd rather just build it. Um, and and I, I do a lot of events that I repeat from the year previous. And I even, I'll be honest, I very rarely use my own show files. I keep them. Um, to me, it's, you know, I, I learn and I change so much. And I, I you know, refine my ear over time that I'd, I'd rather just 
build it real quick. Yeah. Um, and, and, if, and it's if you're the build on a console, just the, build it out, you know? It's the build that gets you around the desk too, you know? So yeah. exactly. I, yeah. I've done the same things where I've went back after a year to do the same show, pulled up that show and basically just kind of flattened it out and used my setup to go. Cause that's, that's mm-hmm. the main thing is my workflow. Like I can do it mm-hmm. fast. Yeah. Now the, now the other side of, of using console files that is interesting. Um, and I met is the church world. Uh, because you know we're especially uh, we're talking like a fixed installation, right? And you have multiple engineers on staff, uh, like at like at my church. Um, and um, there's there's kind of an argument of, well, hey, we want our sound to be our sound, right? That's what the worship director wants. Um, and so trying to balance that between three or four different engineers who mix from week to week. I mean, mm-hmm. as you guys know, like every engineer is going to mix slightly different. Right. So there's this battle of what they want to sound like, you know, like, hey, this is our sound. Like if you come to X church, like this is what we sound like versus, you know, my level of experience or taste for something versus someone else's level of experience or taste for something. And I have a real hard time. Uh, or if I, I just don't do it, like, I, I will not work off the same show file as some as someone else. Like I, I save my file within there because again I'm doing week to week, so I'm not gonna start scratch from from week to week, right? Um, and so in it, I use it as a, as a starting point. Like, and if I do if I do some crazy stuff that week, I'm not gonna like overwrite that file, right? Uh, but um, for the most point, it's it's a base starting point. Um, and look, you know, the way I mix, the way other guys mix, it sounds pretty good, but he might use like heavy compression and all these other things. Whereas I'm more of a minimalist and doing different things. I think ultimately we create the same sound. Uh, well, I'm sorry, not same sound. Um, the sound that the church wants to put out. Right. But just in a slightly different way. Uh, uh, and I just, I wouldn't be comfortable recalling someone else's scene. So it's, yeah. um, it, it, it's just a little bit different take on kind of the console file and, 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 and kind of either who owns it. Like, so does, does the church say, Hey, you have to work with this file. Like this is the file you work from, or, or, or are you allowed to kind of venture? I know there's a little bit deviation from this, but it brings it to mind. But it's uh, it's it's an interesting dialogue, and again, I think that's sort of the overarching theme here is that you know check these articles out, you know discuss them with your colleagues, uh, think about them, and, and and as we've seen, they really lead you down some paths that can be pretty um, you know interesting places to kind of go and think about and uh, and learn some things along the way, and and so in the description of this podcast, you will find a link to the 2019 Pros on Web Top 20, and uh, definitely check those out and i know chris and uh chris we have a, a very cool upcoming release schedule i think uh for yep. some we got some the three of us have had some really interesting guests lately and you guys are going to be hearing from those guests uh in upcoming episodes and we're excited to share that stuff with you and we are up against a clock here so uh we're gonna run but uh, as always stay tuned for more in coming weeks and if you have thoughts hit us up on linkedin hit us up on facebook signal number two noise podcast at gmail.com and if you have any taco gift certificates send them directly to kyle yeah. <laughs> please do <laughs> can't get a decent burrito in missouri anymore <laughs>